the overall issue of racism, I can't solve that. So God help, right? But what is in my control or my own personal views, the circle that I run with, like the conversations that I have with people in my life. And so subconsciously, we don't even realize that we're doing it, but because our pace is slower because of coronavirus, we're literally doing the first principle of the book right now. It's funny, man. I, I wrote down in my journal that day, I'll never forget this. I wrote, God is always speaking. We're just too busy to listen. And I think the, the practice of slowing down, you can actually hear what your father's been saying to you the whole time. She doesn't even know she's in labor. She drives down to the hospital like to go get the coronavirus test. And the doctor is like, hey, um, you're having babies in two hours. And we're like, what? Right. No way. <laughs> I wish y'all could see Jordan's face. That's so amazing. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> two hours? Two hours. That, my stress, my anxiety is up, okay? I'm like up here. Hey, welcome back to Burn the Ships. I'm Jordan Nations, and today I'm joined by my friend, Gerald Fadayomi. Now, if there's somebody who's qualified to help you walk through seasons of challenge and adversity, Gerald is the guy because he's walked through a ton of it himself. I won't tell a story for him, but he's come out on the other side, someone who's an incredible leader and a dad and an awesome communicator with his third book coming out, When Life Gives You Lemons, on June 15th. So we talk all of that and more in this conversation. You do not want to miss it. I hope this is just as useful for you as it has been for me. Thank you so much for listening to Burn the Ships. Hey, welcome back to Burn the Ships. My name is Jordan Nations and I'm here today with my friend Gerald Fadiomi. Gerald, how you doing? Come on, I am here. I am ready. I have lighter fluid in hand. The ships are being burned. They are being burned, <laughs> baby. <laughs> is that so is that a picture of the dome behind you? What, what am I looking at back there? It is. It is a picture of the dome behind me. My wife cheered for the Falcons for four years. Oh, so our, cool. My office is like a shrine to the Falcons. We have like Falcons. a signed Matt Ryan jersey in here. And it's it's nuts. So. That's awesome. Uh, well, dude, I'm excited that you're here, excited for the conversation we're going to get to have today. Uh, but I would love maybe for people that don't know you, and if they don't, they're living under a rock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do they need to know about Gerald? Yeah, man. Uh, so my name is Gerald Fediomi. I'm in Atlanta, uh, the greatest city in the entire world. Come on. There's no debating that at all. Uh, I'm married. I have a beautiful wife named Kylie. She's the best, my best friend in the world. Uh, I'm married to her with two beautiful, beautiful kids. Her names are Wesley Grace and Zoe Faith Fediomi. They were born in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm a Falcons fan, uh, LeBron fan, uh, sneaker connoisseur. Uh, I was a pastor for five years uh, at a pretty big church here in Atlanta and then transitioned into young adult uh, in, in college. So I put together a conference for college students. Uh, I, I lead a monthly gathering for young adults. Um, but all in all, I just I just like having fun and hanging out with dope people. So yeah. that's why I'm here. Having fun hanging out with dope people. Uh, I heard you say last year, I think this was you. Tell me if I'm wrong. I think I heard you say last year in an event, you said that this was the year of the Jordan ones. That was in 2019. I did say I was, that. I was wearing I was wearing a pair of ones yep. and I was like, okay, I, I hit for 2019. So what, <laughs> what is 2020? What do I need to be buying? What's what's 2020 the year of? You know, I was trying to figure that out and then coronavirus happened. Okay. <laughs> so, and so I've deemed this year the year of survival and Just we'll survive. back up in 2021. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think Jordan right now just has the right, like any pair of Jordans that aren't team Jordans, you're winning right now because of the, because this documentary. Uh, mm. Did you watch Last Dance? Oh, yeah, dude. Dude, yeah. it's so good. It, I mean, LeBron's still the GOAT, but it's okay. fine. Okay. Like the, the documentary was good, but LeBron's, you know. LeBron will get his documentary. It's coming. Right. And it'll sure. be 
10 times better because you all think, of the okay. teammates will actually like him. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's funny hearing how much, I mean, they all hate Jerry Krause. Krause has been out to be this like oh, yeah. total enemy the whole time. Yeah. Uh, but they all stuck on the team. And someone, I saw someone tweeting about it the other day and they were like, yeah, if that happened today, like those players' parents would be calling and complaining about their manager who were like, was bullying them. Right. And they right. all stuck with it and are killing it, even with Kraus in the mix. Yeah. It's uh it's such a mess. Okay, well, it's the year of survival. So if we make it through the year, next year, 2021, there'll be a yeah. new shoe that we need to all get. And I I'm I'm proclaiming it in advance. 2021 is gonna be the year of the Jordan five. That's the five. That's my, that's my prediction. People hate okay. the five, but I think it's gonna be the five. Yeah, I don't love the five. That's I I want a pair of fours really bad. Mm. I like the fours. The but fours are they're a good option. People who don't like sneakers are like, what are y'all talking about? That's right? true. They're like, get me out of here. <laughs> it was a sneaker podcast. Uh, well, dude, uh, seriously, I think we're going to go so many places uh, today in this conversation. And obviously, we're in this very uh, strange cultural moment where we're being forced to face uh, some really real cultural issues, racism issues, prejudice issues in the middle of a pandemic uh, already going on. And you can just feel this this uh, moment that we're in and you see protests on the street and uh, we've watched videos of actual murders on our phones. And yeah, it's just, it's it's so much at once. And I'm just interested from your seat, your perspective, um, and plus having a couple of kids this year as well. What is What has this been like for you the past few weeks, past month? What are you feeling? Yeah, so in a second, we'll talk about the book that I have coming out, but I want to share a thought from it because it's kind of framing the way that I'm viewing um, everything right now. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Um, I think a lot of times we we read that verse through the perspective of our purpose, like God is good if things are going our way. Mm -hmm. Um, But the reality is, is that God works together to all things for good according to his purpose his purpose for us as followers of jesus is to be conformed into the image of his son so to be more like jesus and to make disciples to lead people to know jesus so why that's relevant to the question you just asked me we all came into 2020 with this like 2020 like playing off a of vision like oh it's going to be the best year ever like we're going to be able to see things clearly all of our dreams are going to come true like Everyone came into 2020 like declaring that this would be the best year yet. I don't know anyone who did it at the top of the year. Um, And it's funny that we thought that this would be a year of clarity because in a lot of ways it has. It just hasn't felt the way that we wanted it to, right? And so a pandemic has caused us to evaluate our work-life balance. It's caused us to evaluate our space, our our pace in, in our country. It's caused us to evaluate how much time we actually spend with family and how much we invest in friendships. And so we're starting to see some things clearly in that way. Um, the coronavirus pandemic, I think, is one of the biggest catalysts for the race conversation in our country today. Um, had we not been in a pandemic, it would be easy to ignore it and move on. But because everyone is watching the news 24-7 and because everyone is on their phone to connect with people via social media, you have no choice but to see it. And now that everyone's seeing clearly injustice, everyone's standing up against it, right? And so um, I think what's happening is this year we see things more clearly and in that, God is accomplishing what he said in Romans 8, 28, that he's working all things together for the good of those who love him according to his purpose. Everything that we're going through is making us more like Jesus. And everything that we're going through right now is giving us an opportunity to talk about the love of Jesus and wow. to make more disciples. Yeah. And so it's a hard season for sure. Um, 
I have a lot of thoughts as it relates to, to what's going on in our country with race. I have a lot of thoughts um, about how people are taking, how serious people are taking the pandemic. But all in all, um, I think God is up to something really, really cool. Um, and I can't wait to see in three or four or five years um, when we're looking back on 2020, um, how far we've come, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that is such an interesting, you, the pan, we wouldn't be in this spot room with the racism issue if it weren't for the pandemic. People wouldn't be, their eyes wouldn't be up. I think that's like, I mean, yeah, duh. It sounds so simple, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, but it is crazy to think about that. It, it took one for the other, that God is redeeming. Yeah. Redeeming that. Um, and yeah, you said you were talking about your book. You got a book coming out. It's called when life gives you lemons. Yep. Yep. Um, which is awesome. I love the image. I love <laughs> <laughs> you had it ready. Don't don't judge me for having lemons. In my two, how many do you have? Three. Okay. So for the record, <laughs> I just recorded a, a video message for a church. Okay. Uh, and I preached the one life gives you lemons message. So uh -huh. that's before. I don't just carry a handful of lemons. For people listening, Gerald has five <laughs> lemons in his hands right now. <laughs> He's not in the kitchen. No. Uh, no. Nope, nope. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's coming out with Life Easy Limit. It's your second book, right? Third. Third book. Okay. I know yep. about uh Before You Go. Yep. What was the yep. what was before uh, in between those? Yeah, so I wrote Before You Go and then I wrote a book. I co-wrote a book with my friend Crystal Chain called Starting Now. Um wow. Starting Now is a is a devotional guide for college freshmen. Um so Before You Go is kind of finishing out your senior year and then Starting Now is starting your freshman year. Okay. Cool. And then when life gives you lemons, what's what? Give me the premise. Uh, what are we reading when we read when life gives you gives you lemons? Yeah, so when life gives you lemons is not written for students at all. It's not not written for students, but it's not written particularly yeah. for them. It's a it's a general audience book, and the tagline of the book or the subtitle of the book are three must ask questions for navigating seasons of adversity. And so the idea is we've all been handed lemons in life. We've all heard the phrase when when life gives you lemons, make lemonades. The gap is that no one's ever told us how, right? So everyone says, oh, make the most out of it, but no one ever actually tells you how to do that. Um, and so because of the adversity that I've faced in my life, I've, I've learned some things along the way. I've actually handled most of the adversity in my life really poorly. Um, but as of recent, I've learned a couple of things that have really led me to a couple of questions, three in particular, um, that have been transformative for me and have helped me get the most out of the seasons of adversity um, that I'm in. And, and like I mentioned earlier, the Romans 8.28, right? Like this is the concept of the book is we have to redefine the way that we see good because when we look at the lemons or the adversity of our life through the lens of our will or our purpose, everything sucks. It's sour. It feels like this is the worst thing that's ever happened. But when you look at it from the perspective of God wants you to be more like Jesus. So in your suffering, you actually become more like him. And you look at it through the perspective of, oh, this is a chance to make disciples. Like I can use the adversity of my life to lead people to know Jesus. It redefines your adversity and the hard moments, the painful moments, the most difficult moments of life become really, really good, um, even though they don't feel that way all the time. And so the book's goal is to kind of reframe the way that we define good, but also to cause us to slow down and not be reactive when hard things happen, but rather be responsive. So to process, to ask the right questions and then respond appropriately um, to the hard seasons of our life. Cool. Cool. I love, it. I think it's incredible. Uh, and everyone needs it, especially right now in this moment uh, where there's a lot of adversity. Where does, where does that message and that book get personal for you? Yeah, man. Uh, so I mentioned I've gone through a, a lot of adversity in my life. My parents were never married. My dad left in the third grade. Um, my mom is a diagnosed schizophrenic, which led to seasons of homelessness and uh, foster care for me. 
Um, she went to jail my junior year in high school. So at 16, I was on my own um, and became a club promoter in Atlanta um, when I finished high school. And then in the middle of doing that, I had three friends who were murdered, one commit suicide, hmm. um, decided to, to turn my life around, started going to church, became a follower of Jesus, got hired at the church that I attended, met my wife at that church. And then in the first year of our marriage, my wife's dad took his own life. My mom went back to jail and I had to bail her out. So this is a couple of years ago. Um, and then uh, as of recent, I mentioned my, my two beautiful baby girls. I missed their birth because of coronavirus. Um, and we ended up only seeing them four days out of the first month of their life um, due to the virus as well. And so the book is extremely personal to me. It's written out of personal experience. Um, and as I mentioned before, like I've handled pretty much all of those seasons really, really poorly. Yeah. Right? I, I've turned to the wrong places. I've turned to the wrong people. I've turned to the wrong substances. Um, I questioned, doubted God, wanted to give up on faith. I mean, I did in some seasons actually just completely give up on following Jesus. And so because of all of that, now in hindsight, I can look at all of those moments, but also look at the way that I handled the most recent of, of missing my child's birth and go, man, like there's actually a way to handle this well. And there's actually a way to grow from this and, and be better because of it. Um, and so it's extremely personal to me because it's, it's literally my journey of learning how to deal with the adversity of my life well. Yeah. So I don't want people to miss that. I mean, you went through a string of things that any one of them would have been really traumatic for someone and really hard to walk through homelessness, my mom being schizophrenic, murder, suicide, yeah. missing your children's birth. Yeah. Um, how, I mean, how, after all of that, where is, where is the hope? What have you found that you're able to sit where you're sitting today and be in a position that you're at, able to even write about that at this point? Yeah. Um, well, one, the grace of God, right? Like, I I wish I could attribute the fact that I'm still alive, right? Like, I'm not even saying successful. Like, the fact that I'm still alive, I yeah. can only attribute to the grace of God. I, I don't know how I'm here right now, but somehow I am. And so I'm choosing to believe that because I'm here, that God has a plan for all of the adversity of my life, that he wants to use it to be beneficial or helpful to others. And so my hope and prayer is that this book will do that, right? That other people who are going through seasons of adversity can listen to a list of things that in most people's life to get like one or two of those issues, um, to have all of them in one life, I'm hoping that God will use in a pretty dramatic way. Um, you know, I, I don't know how to answer where the hope is um, apart from Jesus. I mean, looking to the cross and understanding John 16, 33, that in this world we will have trouble, but we can take heart, we can be encouraged, we can have hope because he's overcome the world. And so I look to him, but I also slow down and go, okay, like in Jesus, I have peace, I have rest. Um, even when hard things happen, I don't have to just react. And I think the tendency for a lot of us is when we go through something hard, we react or we put our head down and we try to get through it and act like it didn't happen. And I just want us to be people who slow down and respond. So let's let's slow down and ask these three questions and then respond in an appropriate way. Okay. Okay. Um, will you share the three questions or do we have to read the book to get them? You, you want the questions. I, w I, w I want to know. Want I mean, if, you're, if these questions are are the thing, uh, and I, I think I saw you post about asking the right questions. You said uh, on an Instagram post, you said, I'm not an expert on much. If I know anything, I know adversity, I know trials, I know pain. And all of that I've learned if we'll lean in and ask the right questions, which I'm assuming yep. are these three questions, <laughs> the moment that out of that most become the best recipe to a life full of hope, joy, and peace. And I don't, if, if the crux is these three questions, I want to, I'm just very interested in what, what if they I, are. What if I give you one? What if okay, I give you one? Okay, come on. All right, give me one of them. Give me one of them. <laughs> 
so one, let me let me make a clarifying statement here. These three questions have been transformative for me, and I genuinely believe they'll be transformative for most people. Um, I do not, under any circumstances, want to assert that these are the only three questions that you should ask if you go through something hard. I'm sure there are other questions that other people have asked. There's other questions that you can ask that will help you navigate your students of adversity. Um, but the reality is you have to ask questions. And if you ask the right ones, they'll help you grow. So these are three that have been helpful for me. I'll give you the first question in the book. It's in chapter three. And the question is this, it's what's in my control, right? What's in my control? Um, as Christians, we, we've been taught to believe, and I don't think this is a false belief, but we've been taught to believe, hey, God's in control, right? And so the tendency is just to be like, all right, God, you're in control. I'm just going to wait for you to do something about it. But the reality is for all of us is we have more in our control than we realize right? Um, and so I was listening to a pastor named Ben Stewart. He quoted a Marine who talked about this illustration that's in the third chapter of the book, um, where there's two circles. There's an exterior circle. It's a circle of concern. There's an interior circle. It's a circle of control. These are the two things present in every season of adversity. You go through something hard. There's things that are concerning to you, and there's, there are things that are within your control, right? For most of us, we live in the circle of concern. We focus on all the things that make us anxious, worried, stressed out, keep us up late at night, and we kind of live in that circle. What this Marine says is when I go to war, there's all of these things that are concerning me. But focusing on those concerns paralyzes me and it keeps me from being the leader that I actually need to be in that moment. I can't be all of who I'm supposed to be if I'm living in my concern, my anxiety, right? So I've learned to release my concern, move inward to the circle of control, and do the things that are actually in my ability to control, right? So this Marine essentially is, is providing a biblical principle. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but this is what Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, right? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And when you do that, you get the peace of Christ that passes all understanding, guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? So the idea is release your concerns, do what's in your control, and the recipe is that you'll find more peace if you'll do that, right? So how does that practically play out? Well, when you slow down and you ask yourself the question, what's in my control? What you end up doing is you write out a list of all the things that are concerning you. You circle the things that are in your control and everything circled you create action steps for and everything uncircled you release to God. You God, you're in control, you can handle this, I can't. When we do that, we find more peace because now the things that are giving us anxiety that we can't do anything about, they're in the hands of someone who can do something about them. And the things that we can control, we've given ourselves tangible steps to actually do the things that are necessary to do. Now, I need to just say, this is not a one-time activity. This isn't like, oh gosh, my parents are going through a divorce, so I'm gonna do this exercise one time and I'll feel better, right? Like that's not the way it works. It's a moment by moment decision that every in every season, with every emotion, with every thought, we slow down and go, what if this is in my control? God, what I can't control, I give to you. What I can control, let me make action steps. And I'm going to do those. We'll find more peace. Um, so that's question number one from the book. Yeah, that's the other two you got to buy. When life gives you limits <laughs> by Gerald Tadiomi. Find it on Amazon. It's like $100. You need to get it. It's great. <laughs> How does, I, I mean, I love that practice of, and the image, I've never heard that of uh, the concern and control and writing down everything and circling. I think it's a beautiful practice. Yeah. How does that change your day to day? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to to the the goal, like right. One of the goals is to not be reactive; it's to be responsive, right? And so, what it does is it it adjusts our pace, it adjusts my pace. Um, I'm a three on the Enneagram. I move at okay. a rapid, rapid pace, right? Like I feel like a failure if I don't have a meeting after the meeting. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, okay. 
And so for me, I have to slow down and I have to adjust my pace and I have to actually like process and respond. So that exercise for me is a way for me to slow down, for me to actually look at what like, to look at what's actually in front of me and not just deal with the emotions. Um, anxiety is a very like physical thing, you know? And so when we, when we face adversity, we feel this anxiety, this pressure, this stress, and literally like studies have proven the act of writing is therapeutic for anxiety. So to write it all out, one, it slows me down, it relieves some of the stress, and now I can logically look at what's in front of me and go, what should I actually be worried about? And what can I do about the things that I'm actually worried about, right? And so uh, it's a pace thing. I mean, that's the biggest issue in our country, and that's the benefit of coronavirus, is it's caused us to slow down our pace. And when it does, it makes us look in the mirror and evaluate things in a completely different way. Right. Which, like you were saying earlier, has led us to this moment with us all facing racism, both having to be engaged with the issue. And I feel like for me, the slower pace has made me question myself more Yeah, yeah. and say, okay, where are the prejudices or the biases in my life that maybe I didn't even recognize, but I've slowed down to the point to see them. Yeah. So here's the thing that's interesting, dude. Like, as this has happened, it's made me have to slow down and reevaluate the book and go, are these principles actually helpful in, in as extreme a case as what's going on right now, right? Uh, so in the case of what's, what we're dealing with right now, I can actually look at racism and go, okay, so, so Jordan, in your example, it's causing you to slow down, it's causing you to evaluate yourself, it's causing you to evaluate maybe people in your life and the way that they're seeing certain things. What you're doing right now is you're identifying what's in my control, right? Yeah. And then you're going, the overall issue of racism, I can't solve that, so God help, right? But what is in my control or my own personal views, the circle that I run with, like the conversations that I have with the people in my life. And so subconsciously, we don't even realize that we're doing it. But because our pace is slower because of coronavirus, we're literally doing the first principle in the book, right? Naturally. So it kind of proves your concept. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways. Yes. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, it's, that's, I mean, that's just science. If you can't catch on that, that is, (laughs) (laughs) no, it is, it is. And it, um, it makes so much sense, uh, when you say it. That that is how we are operating. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's totally subconscious. Right, right. So imagine how much more powerful it is when you make it a conscious decision. If yeah. If you're doing it subconsciously already, imagine if you put some intentional effort towards it. Gosh, how much further, faster could we go as a, as a country if we all did that? What what rhythms? Okay, if that's a rhythm that you you naturally um, are doing in your life, what other rhythms are keeping you like healthy and sane right now? Yeah. Uh, if that's one of them is figuring out what I'm in control of, what other rhythms are like helpful for you? Yeah. So, uh, I give three questions in the book. I'm going to give away the secret chapter. There's a book in the chapter called the oh secret. Oh my gosh. They're getting the whole thing right here. Come on. It's right after the three <laughs> questions. Okay. And so, uh, the rhythm for me is disconnection to connection. Right. And so because we live in a world that's so connected, social media, Instagram, your phone, uh, technology, email, like people can just get to you whenever they want to. Um, there's constantly things that are vying for our attention. There's constantly things that we're connected to. One of the principles that we see all throughout scripture is Jesus has the same problem that we have. It's not with technology, though. It's like with physical people, right? Like mm. his cousin dies, is beheaded, John the Baptist. He wants to go away and pray. And there's 5,000 recorded people. Most people believe that would have been, that would have only been men. So women and children, probably around 10,000 people who need his attention, who are like, teach us, teach us, teach us. And not only teach us, We've been waiting for you all day. We're hungry. We have nothing to eat. And so he has to stop when he's going to try to be with the father. 
to deal with this issue of connection. All these people want something from him. So he does the miracle, you know, where he takes the Lunchable and feeds yeah. the multitudes. And then he oh, goes wow. and he, he disconnects, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we see all throughout the scripture, Jesus disconnects from the crowds to connect with his father. And then he re-engages in this ministry. Uh, that principle is super helpful for me. I have to have intentional times to disconnect so I can connect with God and myself, to be honest. And then I can re-engage with my family. I can re-engage with my friends. I can re-engage with my career. I can re-engage fresher and better because I've had some moments of disconnection. And so I do that on a daily basis. I try to find 10 to 15 minutes to just disconnect. Sometimes that's in scripture. Sometimes that's listening to music. Sometimes it's going for a walk, like just 10 to 15 minutes to disconnect daily. Uh, monthly, I try to find a two to three hour window to just get away by myself. I'll just sit by the Chattahoochee River, um, at a couple of parks that I like and just try to go and be and not deal with anyone um, and process my thoughts and spend time with the Lord. And then the same thing annually. Um, this last year, I went up to Asheville for five days by myself, turned my phone off, booked a counselor out in Asheville and cool. did three intensive sessions with him. Um, and then spent some time like evaluating my year and then asking God to give me a word for this year. Um, and so, yeah, so disconnection to connection finding times daily, monthly, and annually to disconnect so you can come back to whatever it is that you're doing fresh. Yeah. Didn't, um, didn't the Forgot So Loved come from a, tr- a retreat like that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I went to, I went to the woods uh, with yeah. three of my boys and we just went up to pray and spend time with God. And God told me to quit my job, which when I say that people are like, God told you like audibly. No, he didn't tell me audibly. What happened was I read the scriptures and I felt like this conviction as I was reading. And then I prayed about it and I felt like even more strongly about my decision. And then I went and I talked to my friends. And I had a friend named Reed who was like, hey, bro, like, I felt like while I was praying, like the Lord laid this on my heart for you. And as exactly what he said was exactly what I'd written down in my journal. Oh, cool. And so it was kind of like a, all right, like, yeah, I hear you. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. You know, so it's funny, man. I, I wrote down in my journal that day. I'll never forget this. I wrote, God is always speaking. We're just too busy to listen. And I think the the practice of slowing down, you can actually hear what your father's been saying to you the whole time. Um, and, and when you do it, it dramatically changes your life, right? Like you'll be going one, down one direction and immediately you'll go, oh, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm going to go this way. Right? Yeah. Like, so, yeah. The father's always speaking. We just, we just have to listen. Yeah, dude. That is so good. Speaking of uh, fatherhood, you are a dad now, which is awesome. That's right. That's right. Uh, and yeah, tell tell the story real quick about about the birth because I mean it's pretty nuts and it's crazy watching it even through social was crazy. Yeah, yeah. So I travel and speak for a living, um, and usually like January to March is like I'm slammed. Like pretty much every weekend I'm out somewhere, and then sometimes during the week. Um, the last weekend, uh, or no, not last weekend, first weekend of March, I had one last event. Uh, this one wasn't a speaking engagement. It was like a networking kind of thing with some other pastors and leaders. Um, and so I went to that, came back home, felt great. Uh, that two days later, I started feeling terrible. So I went down to the hospital. This is when like coronavirus was like blowing up and everyone was right. shutting everything down. And so I went down to the hospital and I got the coronavirus test only because I told them that my wife was seven and a half months pregnant in a high risk pregnancy and like didn't want to risk it. And they were like, yeah, you should probably take it. So took it, uh, told me it'd be 48 hours before I get my results. And in the middle of the 48 hours, my wife goes into labor. Oh my gosh. Early. Right. Early. Uh, she drives down to the hospital. She doesn't even know she's in labor. She drives down to the hospital, like to go get the coronavirus test. And the doctor is like, Hey, um, you're having babies in two hours. And we're like, what? Right. No way. 
<laughs> I wish I could see Jordan's face as I'm saying. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> Two hours. Two hours. That my stress up, my anxiety is up. Okay. I'm like up here. Hey, slow I down. <laughs> What's in your control? What's in my control? <laughs> Not having a kid in two hours, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> right. So, so I leave my house. I get in the car. I drive down to try to be with her. And when I get down there, I get a call from an infectious disease at the hospital, um, and they let me know that I can't go in because my coronavirus test is still pending. And uh, because it's pending, like they're not gonna allow me in the hospital. And so uh, I ended up missing the birth of my identical twin girls. My wife had to have the test as well. And so when they were born, she didn't see them or hold them um, at all for the first two days of their life. Um, then we got our test back. That, so they were born on a Wednesday, March 18th. That Friday, we were able to see them because our test results came back negative. We were with them until Sunday. And then we got a call on Sunday from the hospital that the NICU where our girls were because they were born early um, was going to have to be locked down because there was a confirmed case of coronavirus from another parent. And so uh, we went another three weeks without being able to see or hold our girls in person. So yeah, first month of their life, we saw them a total of four days. It was extremely difficult, but now they're at home and it's amazing. And being a dad is the best, except for like not sleeping and literally getting pooped out. Like, true story, dude. I'm holding yeah, I'm holding one of my girls, and she's like being so sweet. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm finally having a moment where like I can actually like interact with yeah. them, you know. And she's like being so sweet. I'm like, oh, this is the best. And then all of a sudden, I just feel something warm on my stomach, uh-uh. and I'm like, what is going on, right? So I pick her up, and mind you, she's like laying on. I have her laying on the pillow that I sleep on every night. Right. So like she's propped on the pillow and then her like butt is against my chest. Right. The pillow is covered in poop. My stomach, my shirt is covered in poop. I lift my shirt up. My stomach is covered in poop. Right. Like my entire body is now. You thought you were having a moment. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, no, I'm just being sweet because I just pooped all over you. That's all over you. Do we still (laughs) sleep on that pillow? How how are we doing? No, no, no. The pillow is gone. Burn that thing. I burned the pillow on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. That is nuts. That I mean, and just being disconnected. I mean, that's that's a punch in the gut. I can't even imagine. Yeah, dude. Yeah. What that's like. Um, but again, I mean, it goes back to your control and concern thing. Like you, I guess you couldn't control, mm-hmm. which has gotta suck as a dad and as a mom, you know, to to not be able to control the day-to-day of your newborns yeah um but you can see how your same framework works out in that yeah. sort of scenario and I mean, it's, to get through it. it's literally what we did which was again part of the reason that i wrote the book because like as we're sitting in our living room like there were days dude that i would go lay in their room and turn on worship music and just weep i was so depressed mm-hmm. i just wanted to be with my kids and i constantly had to remind myself like okay i can't control when they come home what I can control is the fact that we were in the middle of a renovation before they were born. And there's some things that I can finish around the house. I can control like how much time I get to spend with my wife. Cause these are going to be the last days that we have together alone, you know? And so we ordered battleship battleship off Amazon and we okay. play battleship every night and watch movies together. And, <laughs> out. and you know, it, like it didn't make it. And that, that's kind of the point. Like it doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it less painful. Um, but it does allow us to find like hope and purpose and meaning and growth in it all. And so we were able to prepare our house a little bit better for our girls, but more than that, like we were able to prepare our hearts for them coming home, you know, prepare prepare to be parents. And so it sucked and I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but 
I can't say that I'd take it away either. You know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so good. The, yeah. I feel like so many people think that you can't have pain and hope at the same time. You can't have heartache and purpose at the same time, but really there is a purpose and there's hope for you, the pain and the things you're going through. That's, I mean, it's gold. Which I don't know how you can be a Christian and hold that perspective, by the way. We literally yeah. call Good Friday good. Right. right. Like, right. It is the day that Jesus, let's, can we just pause for a second? It's the day that Jesus died. Died. <laughs> Executed. Not, yeah, yeah. It's not the day he rose again. It wasn't Good Sunday, right? Like, it was Good Friday. The day he right. died, we went, hey, that really sucked. And that was really painful. And we all know it was excruciating for Jesus. It was so excruciating that God in human flesh, asked to not have to do it right like it was painful but yet we can look at it in hindsight and go gosh that's so good for you and for me and so as a christian we can't hold that perspective about jesus but then not hold it for ourselves. it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. oh my gosh yeah it's i mean it's totally true and it just exists in people's subconscious and it's it's lies it's total lies yeah. um and in this culture where we want things to be easy and comfortable and safe uh right. can be easy to think that pain is bad no matter what. And uh, yeah, it's not always, what do you, what do you hope is true of your girl's lives? I'm 25. So I use 25. What do you hope is true of their lives and of the world that they're living in when they are my age? Yeah. Of the world. Gosh, man, I'm praying for a world that there's not a limit on what they can do and who they can be because of their gender. Um, I'm praying for a world that they're not going to be judged by the color of their skin, but the context of their character. I pray that people would judge them based off of how good people they are and not anything other than that. Um, I'm praying for a world that they won't be seen as objects in the eyes of men, but that they'd be treated as humans. Um, so in terms of the world, there's a lot, but a lot of that's not in my control. And so that's those are the things that I'm releasing and praying about, you know. Um, in terms of like them, we intentionally gave them middle names um, based off of who we wanted them to be. And so Wesley's middle name is Grace. Um, she's actually named after my mentor who who led me to know Jesus. Cool. And uh, his story with me was that he never actually like, there was no gospel presentation moment. It was when I was an idiot and when I was making stupid decisions, he would show up for me over and over and over again. Like he literally demonstrated grace for me. Um, And so we named her Wesley Grace with the hopes that her life would be a a tangible expression of the grace of God, that every person that runs into her would go, gosh, I've never met someone who's more grace-filled, more caring, more kind, who forgives so quickly. Um, And so that's our hope for her. And then for Zoe, her middle name is Faith. Um, Zoe in, in the Greek means life. And so... Um, our hope for her, our prayer for her is that she would have a life of faith that everyone who runs into her goes, gosh, like, how do you have faith even when things are as difficult as they are? How do you have such strong faith when it seems like all your friends are moving in the opposite direction? Um, And so for them, we're just praying that they'd be the tangible expression of the grace and faith uh, that comes from the Father. Yeah, so good. So good. And uh yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's crazy to think about the world that could be in twenty five years, and hopefully, hopefully, you. I mean, we can all look back and say, "Oh yeah, the year you were born, you would not believe how different things were beforehand." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for some reason, when you came into the world, things started shifting. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I, man, I hope that's the testimony they can have absolutely. for the world, and then yeah, for their lives too. To say, my parents, we they planted these words in the ground for yeah. me, and then I got to experience them later. Totally. It's beautiful. 
Yeah, we literally, Kylie and I were talking about that with all the protests that are happening. And, you know, there's there's a lot of media coverage on the ones that aren't going so well, but there's a lot of really, really great peaceful protests happening all over the country. And our girls are still quarantined. Like, no one can be around them for another month or so. Hmm. Uh, but we just felt this, like, angst in us of, hey, like, we we want to be a part of the change that's happening. And we are from home. Like, we're raising money for organizations and having hard conversations with people. But, like, we wanted to be boots on the ground. Um, and so we decided yesterday, literally, that we'd get in the car and we'd drive down to a protest and we'd sit in our car 30 feet away. Um, oh. But we have, like, a little picture with our girls with the sign that says, change it for us. And uh, our conversation was about in 25 years, you know, when they come back over to our house with a boyfriend that they think I'm going to like, that I'm probably not going to like, they can yeah. open a <laughs> photo book and go, gosh, like, I remember, I don't remember it, but like from the beginning of my life, uh, my parents have been fought, fighting for a better reality for me. And I was a part of it without even knowing it, you know? Yeah. And if people aren't going to fight for themselves, at least fight for the next generation. I mean, right. Yep. gosh, we, we lay the groundwork and people laid the groundwork for us. Yeah. And I had no control over who laid the groundwork for me. Yep. But I do have control over laying the groundwork for the next generation. Again, it's, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. It's really I'm cool. literally, I'm going to point every person who has questions about the third chapter of the book to this podcast. <laughs> we've really <laughs> dived into the third chapter. We've illustrated this so many yeah. times. <laughs> hey, all the other chapters, I don't know anything about them, but the third yeah. chapter I'm an expert on at this point. Come so. on, come on. <laughs> Um, I, I want to, as we start to lay in the plane here, I ask everyone the same question. And, uh, honestly, I realized I forgot to even prep you for this one. So good luck, but burn the ships is all about courage. It's all about, um, you know, the story of a commander gets onto the shores and sees this big army waiting on him and his men try and retreat. And they're looking at him like, let's get back in the ships. And he says, no, 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 burn the ships to the ground yeah. so that you have no way back. And you have to go forward. And he says, the enemy's before you, the sea's behind you, and you have only now the hope of your courage. Mm. And these 7,000 dudes are facing 100,000, and they win and take over, and they conquer and uh, rule for the next 1,000 years. And we're not in a day now where I'm taking a ship to another country to go, uh, you know, conquer it. Right. But we are in an age where we need courageous people more than ever. We need people who are willing to say, I'm going to burn the ships of comfort. I'm going to burn the ships of... Uh, the past and move forward. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the whole thing is about courage. And I'm just interested in 2020 in this weird world that we live in. Like, how would you define courage? Yeah, that's great. Um, I would define courage as getting off your butt. But let me clarify. I'm, I don't mean B-U-T-T. I mean B-U-T. Mm-hmm. Um, we are a butt generation. I could do this, but I was going to, but, and I think when a generation decides, butt is not going to stand in the way. I'm going to get off the butt and I'm going to go do something about it. Um, I think that's where courage lives and that's where it lies and that's where change happens, right? And so there will always be a reason why not, but we need a generation who's willing to find a reason why. Hmm. So good. Get off your butt. I think that's an awesome answer. Come on. That is an awesome answer. Well, no yeah. prep, bro. That's the best I can no do. No prep. I know. That, but come on. I shouldn't have prepped you for anything. Uh, well, man, people need to get your book wherever they are. TheLemonBook.com. Is that right? TheLemonBook.com is the best place to find it. Hit right there. Your Instagram at Gerald Fatiomi. Yes, sir. Yep. 
Um, and they need everyone. Yeah. They need to follow you. They need to be following you on social. You put incredible stuff. Uh, stuff that's very been, it's been insightful that I've learned from just from a distance on social. So I appreciate that. And yeah, this book coming out anywhere else that they can find you or need to find you. No, dude, I think you covered it. They just, they just, if you're not subscribed to burn the ships, however you do that, I don't know if there's like a little bell thing, like there's on YouTube, uh-huh. whatever uh-huh. that thing is, do that. Subscribe. Do that. Come hit, on. Hit us with the subscribe. We need it. Um, you know, we, we make a lot of money over here, but we're trying to make more. So <laughs> I don't know if you knew podcasting is a great way to spend a lot of money, but not make a dime. So oh that's why God. I'm here. <laughs> uh, no, Gerald, thanks so much, dude. You are really, you are modeling this for me, for our generation. And I appreciate it so much. And the voice that you are choosing to step up and have and help create the fabric of this generation that your, your children are going to grow up in is so inspiring. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for being here. And thanks for demonstrating what it means to burn the ships. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Burn the Ships. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Gerald as much as I did. If you did, make sure to share with a friend or subscribe to this podcast on your platform so that you don't miss a beat. We're going big places and we need your help to get there. Thanks for listening.